be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Inshallah, we're going to continue where we left off. As we said, what we're trying to do, so it's going to be twofold, is to build a foundation for our belief system and our religion. And while we're building it, we want to take a look, a very good look at the, let's call it a checklist, that if you go through it, you say, what does it look like? What does it mean for someone to say, I'm a good Muslim or I'm a good Shi'i? What are the, the items on that list that you have to take off? So a big piece of that is, what, what do you believe in? What are you supposed to believe in? What is part of your fundamental belief system? What are the proofs and arguments that you need for that belief system? And then the actions. So what we're trying to do is to present those, but not always only as a lecture. I want it to be lecture as well as questions. When we present something, it needs to be refuted. Whatever doubts, questions, issues, not only yours, anything you can hear out there that you need to be more solid in, you have to be able to bring it back. Did you think about that? Whether it's this, in today's lesson, and it's something we said three lessons ago, bring it back, or something we haven't talked about, bring it. So if it's something we're, we need to address in detail, we will address it in detail. And if it's something we're not planning on addressing in detail, we're at least going to address it quickly here. And if it needs a detailed discussion, we'll give it a detailed discussion. So what we said until now is that human beings have a general tendency to lean towards religion. Religion is instinctive, but we cannot rely on our instincts to know if this is accurate, if this is reliable, if this is stable or not, because our instincts vary. So this is kind of a general tendency towards religion, but that's not enough. We need a lot more. We need something theoretical, which is usually what we call aqaid, theology, you know, a rational system of belief. So we want to start on that path now. Every lesson is going to be linked somehow to what we've said so far, and we're building on it. So the first big question that we have has to do with the role of reason in religion, the role of aql the role of the mind, the role of logic, the role of rationality. Generally speaking, one of the things that are attacked in religion is that religion is blind faith. They say if someone is religious, it basically means that they have put their reason, they have put their mind, they have put their logic. Okay, I'm, I, I'm intentionally using different, different words, different terms, hatta we keep all of that in mind. You've put all of that on, on park, you've parked it, you've put it on pause, you've put it on timeout, hatta you become a religious person. Because reason and logic do not apply to religion. And so, on one side, this is an attack that comes from the outside of religion. So it comes from people, methalan, as an example, it comes from people who are non-religious who who, or who are against religion to start with. People who are either militant atheists, okay? people like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and others. okay? They are militant atheists, and the reason for attacking religion through this is only from that dimension. Okay, that's one. That's one, one place where the attack is coming from. A second place is actually coming from the inside, and it's not supposed to be an attack, but it's becoming one. And so the form 
that it is presented in is different. We have religions that openly say, we have people who are religious who openly say that once you get into the domain of faith, then this is where mind, rationality, reason have no place. These are matters of faith. You cannot ask certain questions. You cannot ask how God can be one and three, for instance. Some Christians will tell you. If you keep asking, they'll tell you that's, that question you cannot ask it. You're not allowed to ask that question. And you're not required to understand. What you're required to do is to believe. The moment you believe, according to their theology, according to their system of beliefs, the moment you believe, you are saved. It means that the death of Jesus, as they say, that Jesus died and that his death is going to be your savior from your sins. He's going to be the savior from your sins only if you believe in the Trinity, that he died for your sins. How? Why? The moment you doubt, it means you don't believe. It means he cannot be the savior of your sins. This is one example. There's many. Okay, so it's important to know when someone says in our system of belief today, in our system of religion, what is the role of rationality? What is the role of the mind? What is the role of logic? What is the role of reason? Some people who are saying there is no place for reason and rationality and the mind are saying it while they're sitting outside of religion and they're attacking all religion this way. They're saying all religions cannot be respected, taken seriously, thought of as being anything rational, because that's what religious people do. They have a blind faith in whatever they're told, that's their religion. Okay, So that's one attack. That's one source of attack. The other one is coming from within religion. So there are religious people themselves who are saying, there are things you cannot ask about. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to you or not. Your job, your duty, is to believe in them as is. If you want to be a good person, if you want your soul to be saved, you have to believe in these things, have blind faith. The more blind faith you have, the more believer you are, and the more saved you are, and the more faithful you are. So far, so good? So now we know what the attack is. So what's the issue with that? The first issue with this is that our reason is our only tool. There is no other tool to distinguish between correct and incorrect, between true and false, between right and wrong. The only tool we have is reason, our mind, our logic. If you remove that faculty from someone, it's going to be very difficult after that to distinguish between right and wrong. So normal people cannot accept that. Generally speaking, any person, if you tell them, I'm going to tell you something and you have to accept it, just park your logic for a second until we can have this conversation. They won't accept that. If you park my logic, then what else do I have? I have nothing else. So from a very instinctive point of view, this is usually not very taken very well by anyone unless you've already accepted that previous argument that says you have to have blind faith, otherwise you're not going to be saved, for instance. Okay? 
That's one issue. The second issue we have with this is if we go back in history, as an example, before we look at today, just generally speaking, if we go back in history, do we find that the people who were religious were people who parked their rationality and their reason and their logic and their mind? Did they put it on the side because they were religious? Or do we have people who were considered to be intellectual geniuses who used their mind, their logic, their rationality while they were still religious? If we find people who are considered to have a respectable mind and who are still considering themselves religious, and we have to define what religious means, then that argument already starts to crumble. So first of all, our gut feeling, instinctively, we all know any normal, rational, logical human being should say, no, I cannot park my reason. Okay, That's already one reason why we have to look into this. Most people will not accept to put their reason, their logic, their rationality on pause. Secondly, if we look into history and we start finding people who were both religious, believers in God, for instance, and who were considered to be bright minds, intellectual, rational, logical, reasonable people, then the argument itself doesn't hold. So those are two external reasons why that argument starts to be weak. The argument of what? That reason and religion are not compatible. So reason one, the majority of people. Reason two, if we go in history. So let's look at it. Can we trust that gut feeling of most people when they refuse when they think it's weak or it's wrong or there's something that's not right in putting your reason aside, your rationality aside or not? Is that the right feeling to have or is that a wrong feeling to have? What do you think? I think it's the wrong feeling. It's the wrong thing to do is to put your rationality aside and your reason aside. So in that case, you're saying when people are not okay, if you ask them to be a believer, you have to park your reason, you have to park your mind that's the right thing most people, they say that's wrong so you agree with that, it is wrong yeah, I agree with it, it is wrong Yeah. does anyone disagree with him? we all agree? yeah, okay, good we should agree the majority of people, when they say my gut feeling <laughs> is I cannot put my reason aside and that's my only tool, they are right that is our only tool today we're going to add something a little bit later. Okay? But for now, today, our only tool to know right and wrong is our reason. If anyone asks you to put your reason on hold, put it on pause, this is where reason doesn't work, you already should have some flags that go up and say, wait a minute, why are you asking me to stop thinking? My thinking shouldn't stop. Okay? So that argument is good. Second argument. And this is not the lesson. This is all an introduction to the lesson. The lesson is we want to see what Islam says. We haven't reached that yet. We're talking about the rational aspect of it now. Second argument. If we go back in history, no Muslims, 
Don't mention any Muslims yet. We go back in history and we look. Do we have people who are considered to be very strong intellects, intellectuals, thinkers, scientists, who are also believers in God or not? Can you give me examples? Who are considered to be the greatest scientific minds today? Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. Did he believe in God or not? Yeah. He believed in God. Who else? Even Darwin believed in God. Darwin believed in God. Who else? Isaac Newton. He is considered the greatest scientific mind in the history of humanity. In the scientific world, they say he is the most scientific brain that has existed in humanity. If you study his life, you see he basically invented calculus. He was a scholar in many fields, all of them scientific. But something that is not very well known about his life, for instance, is that he was also obsessed with the Bible. He was an interpreter of the Bible, and he did something with the Bible that not a lot of people do. He was an expert in numerology. He obsessed about, you know how we have, we also have scholars who spend a lot of time, the numbers, the letters have numbers associated with them, and they extract all sorts of mathematical formulas and dates uh, from the Holy Quran. He did the same thing with the Bible. It's called numerology. He was obsessed with numerology. And in fact, he says that all of his science and all of his math and all of his optics and and all of it, he says, is to better discover God. That's how he explained it. All of it is he is trying to discover the laws that God has put in place in, in nature. So was he a believer or not? He was definitely a believer. Okay, so when someone comes and says that those two are incompatible, it doesn't really work. First, because the majority of people reject the idea Maybe you're going to have some minorities here and there that are going to buy into the idea that, okay, I can park my reason, I can park my intellect and believe blindly. But not everybody who believes has parked their intellect. That doesn't work because the majority of people reject that argument. Okay? And the person who is arguing is an example. Tomorrow they could become a believer. It's possible. It doesn't mean they're going to park their intellect. They're telling you right now, I will never park my intellect. I can tell them, me too, I'll never park mine either. Okay? Argument one. Argument two, when you look at history, you see that those people who believe did not park their intellect. None of them say, I agree to put my reason and rationality and logic and thinking on the side because I am now a believer. In fact, the opposite. Okay? So those are two big reasons to keep in mind for this whole discussion. The third one is now, let's come to Islam specifically. So we talked in general about God and religion and how does the mind fit into all of this. What does Islam say about the place of reason and the importance of reason in a system of belief? And this is not a, it's not a scientific uh, compilation, but this is a high level sampling of verses of the Quran that talk about this topic. So what I try to do is to lump them together according to themes. Okay? I'm not saying these are all the themes. These are just a few themes that come to mind very quickly. All we're trying to do is to give a sampling. But I want you to remember these samples because they're important. What do you mean give a sampling? Examples. Examples of what? Not only. All of them have one thing in common. 
all of them, all of these examples we're going to give, I want you to concentrate on two levels. Level one, the importance of reason, rationality in our belief system. That's the common. That's all of them. But two, I want to show how even within that, the Qur'an gives different angles to this rationality. Every time he's, the Qur'an is asking us to come at it from a different angle. So what I try to do is put them, these angles, put them in categories. And there are others, and they can be categorized differently too. Okay, these are just examples. As soon as we're going to mention them, you're going to start seeing what I mean. It's very simple. The numbers of verses, if we put all of these together, they're in the high hundreds. Okay, so there's no time to like make it into a, a very long study. This is just to give an idea. Hatta no one comes after and says, you're asked to put your rationality, your mind, your logic on the side when you enter into a religion. Especially, if that is the case for other religions, especially for Islam, this does not work. So we're going to show it in different angles, always with the idea that the entire system of belief in Islam rests on a rational foundation. Okay? So we're going to start with the categories, with the themes. The first one. We have verses, for instance, that encourage thinking and reflection, which is deep thinking, in general. Okay? And you're going to see it come again in other examples of verses. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses for each example. And then we can have a little discussion about that. Okay? So try to see what you get out of this. So for these verses, concentrate on this idea that the Qur'an, as we said, because these are examples, we can take out hundreds, literally, of verses saying the same thing. See how the Qur'an is asking us to think and reflect. Okay? Verse 1. And your Lord inspired the bee, saying, Make your home in the mountains and on the trees, and that which they, humans, which they erect. Yani buildings. Allah inspired the bees to make their homes into all these places. Then eat from every kind of fruit, and follow meekly the ways of your Lord, there issues from its belly a juice, the honey, a juice of diverse hues, yani diverse colors, in which there is a cure for the people. There is indeed a sign in that for a people who reflect. It's not even telling us what to think. It's just saying, think. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, He told the bees to do this. Or in other words, He taught the bees to do this. And if you go back a million years in the past, you see the bees were doing that, and today they're still doing that. Don't be ignorant or neglectful of something like that when you encounter it. Think about it. Reflect. Have deeper thinking. Okay? One example. Another one. Indeed, in the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the alternation of night and day, there are signs for those who possess intellect. Those who remember Allah standing, sitting, and lying on their sides and reflect on the creation of the heavens and the earth, saying, O Lord, you have not created all of this in vain. There's a place for reflection, right? Okay. Another group of verses. Those that encourage knowledge in general, and there's a lot of them. 
just one quickly. Say, Rasul ask them, tell them, say, are those who know equal to those who do not know? Only those who possess intellect take admonition, or in other words, remember. So this remembrance, this is the Qur'an reminding us that those who know and those who do not know, very general, cannot be considered equal. Okay? So first one was thought and reflection in general. Second one, knowledge in general. Third one, the ayat that encourage the study of nature. So we already had a hint of that. And there are hundreds of these verses in the Qur'an. Here are a few examples. Did we not make the earth a resting cradle and the mountains as pegs and create you in pairs and make your sleep a rest and make the night a covering and make the day for livelihood and build above you the seven mighty firmaments and make the sun a radiant lamp and send down water pouring from the rain clouds that with it we may bring forth grains and plants and dense and luxuriant gardens. A little part from Surah An-Naba. Why is this mentioned? People reflect and think. Reflect. How many examples were there? In Surah Al-Rum, more verses. He brings forth the living from the dead, and brings forth the dead from the living, and revives the earth after its death. Likewise, you too shall be raised from the dead. Among his signs is that he created you from dust. Then behold, you are humans scattering far and wide. And of his signs is that he created for you mates for your own selves, so that you may take comfort in them, and he ordained affection and mercy between you. There are indeed signs in that for a people who reflect. Among his signs is that the creation of the heavens and the earth and the difference of your languages and colors. There are indeed signs in that for those who know. And of his signs is your sleep by night, and by day your pursuit of his grace. There are indeed signs in that for a people who listen. And of his signs is that he shows you lightning, arousing fear and hope, and he sends down water from the sky, and with it revives the earth after its death. There are indeed signs in that for a people who apply reason. Okay, that's a, a little clip from Surat Ar-Rum. So, what did you notice here again? Is there intellect and reason or not? Okay. Do they not observe the camel to see how she has been created, and the sky how it has been raised, and the mountains how they have been planted, and the earth how it has been surfaced? From Surat Al-Ghashiyah. Another example. Not alike are the two seas, the two bodies of water. This one, sweet, agreeable, pleasant to drink, and that one, salty and bitter. And from each of them, you eat fresh meat and obtain ornaments which you wear. And you see the ships plowing through them, that you may seek of His grace, and so that you may give thanks he makes the night pass into the day and makes the day pass into the night and he has made subjected the sun and the moon each moving along its course towards a specific term. That is Allah your Lord. Okay, Why is this mentioned? Again, to reflect 
on nature. Right? Okay. So this was a third category of verses. Another category of verses. Those that ask us to study history, to understand what happened to people before us. Why? Is this not to think and study and reflect? Have they not seen how many a generation we have destroyed before them, whom we had granted power in the land in respects that we did not grant you? We sent abundant rains for them from the sky and made streams run for them. Then we destroyed them for their sins and brought forth another generation after them. It's not just a story. It's supposed to be for study, right? Another one. This was in Surah Al-An'am. Have they not traveled in the land so that they may observe how was the fate of those who were before them? They were more powerful than them, and they plowed the earth and developed it more than they have developed it. Their messengers brought them clear proofs, so it was not Allah who wronged them, but it was they who used to wrong themselves. Again, the point is, study history. Another category. The verses of the Qur'an that say conjecture is not acceptable, is not enough. What's conjecture? Conjecture means you don't have certainty. It's the opposite of certainty. Guesswork. You're guessing. You're only 80%, 50% sure. You're not 100% sure. What does the Qur'an say about being only 50% sure or 80% sure? If you obey most of those on the earth, they will lead you astray from the way of Allah. They follow nothing but conjectures and they do nothing but surmise. Surmise means guesswork. Okay, They only guess. Most people, they live based on conjecture. They don't live based on certainty. Which means what? Which means that the Quran rejects conjecture. It's, it's saying this is not acceptable. He's saying most people live on conjecture, and that's wrong. Do not live like the majority of people who live on conjecture. That's what it's saying. Another verse. Look, to Allah belongs whoever is in the heavens and whoever is in, on earth. And what do they pursue who invoke partners beside Allah? And those who believe in other gods besides Allah, they merely follow conjectures and they just make surmise. Again, guesswork. And a third group of verses, they do not have any knowledge of that because they used to believe that the angels are, are women or feminine. They do not have any knowledge of that. They follow nothing but conjectures. And indeed, conjecture is no substitute for the truth. There's the truth and there's your guesswork. Very clear, right? Okay. Sixth category of verses. This one has to do with people who say, I'm going to follow my parents. Or today we can say, follow my culture, follow my society, follow my previous generations, ancestry. All of that is the same argument. When they are told, follow what Allah has sent down, they say we will rather follow what we have found our ancestors or parents or forefathers following, even if their ancestors neither applied any reason nor were they guided. Okay? Seventh category. The verses that say that rejecting religion based on their rejection of reason makes them worse than animals. 
Be careful how the verse says it. Do you suppose that most of them listen or apply reason? They are just like cattle. Rather, they are further astray from the way of Allah. So what's the reason? They do not listen. They don't listen. They don't understand or they don't believe. Right? And they don't apply reason. They do not apply reason, rationality, mind. Another verse. They have hearts with which they do not understand. They have eyes with which they do not see. They have ears with which they do not hear. They are like cattle. Rather, they are more astray. It is they who are the heedless. Heeding means hearing, right? So they're the ones who don't understand what they hear. They don't understand what they see. Just like the other verses say, study nature. You're seeing it in front of you and you're not seeing it, right? So again, the reason is because they're not using their intellect. An eighth and last category, there's a lot more. That's why I said I just I'm just giving a sample. The eighth one. The verses of the Quran that say that the Quran itself cannot be taken at face value. It needs to be reflected upon and it needs to be studied. Even the Quran about itself. If you have something that you think is shaky. I have this and I'm not 100% sure about it. I'm not going to put it in front of you and tell you come scrutinize it. Right? I'm going to say, you know, like just trust me on it. You know, you don't need to really look into it. It's good. If I'm putting it out there and I'm saying take a look at it, take it under the microscope and the telescope and the, take it to the lab, have all your people look at it, I know what this is. Look at it. I'm assuring you, this is a diamond. Right? So this is what the Qur'an says about itself. It says, do they not contemplate the Qur'an? Which means it's a, a meditation, it's a deep reflection, it's a study. Do they not contemplate the Qur'an? Had it been from someone other than Allah, they would have, have surely found much discrepancy in it, much difference, contradiction in it. And another verse, do they not contemplate the Qur'an? Or are there locks on their hearts? So what do we find in all of these verses? One, the, the common thread in all of these verses, the importance of the mind, the importance of reason, the importance of logic, right? Clear. And the second thing that we find in a lot of these is that we can actually lump them together into categories. So we see some verses concentrate more on the contemplation and the thinking. Some, pe- some verses concentrate on nature. Some verses concentrate on the Qur'an. Some co- verses concentrate on history. Right? Some concentrate on believing what your society or your parents tell you to believe. But the common thread is always you're required to use logic. So the real answer we're giving to the big question we asked at the beginning, which was, are the mind, rationality, and reason, and logic compatible with our religion or not? So we gave the general answers. We said everybody should say they have to be compatible because no human being is willing to let go of their logic and sacrifice it. One. Two, history is full of people who are at the height 
of what is considered scientific mind and thinking, at the height of intellectual thought, at the height of reason, rationality, and yet they were believers. And three, even if all of that was not the case, when we come to our religion, not only, and this is the point, not only is our religion compatible with reason, one, that's one level. It's actually a lot higher than that level. It's our duty, it's our obligation to use our reason. These are two different things. One level is to say, I have my religion, and my religion says this thing is neutral. It's okay. You can do it. You cannot do it. You know, it's fine. I don't have anything to say about it. But it's something else to say. My religion says this is part of it. And if this is not part of it, it it's not good enough. These are two completely different levels. Say it's compatible. It's neutral. It accepts it if it comes along, but you know has nothing more to say about it. And say, no, this is part of it. In fact, it's a condition, and your religion is considered incomplete if you don't have it. So for someone now to come and say, religion is incompatible with religion, no, that's very weak. You have understood nothing from what our religion says about reason, about rationality, about the mind and the intellect. If you did, you couldn't say something like that. And here are hundreds of verses of the Qur'an, and we're not even going to go into the narrations today that talk about the importance, the sacredness, the centrality of the intellect in our religion. Okay? So that's our first topic. And we're going to stop here for a good discussion after this. وَصَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَى سَيِّدِنَا مُحَمَّدٍ وَعَلَى آلِهِ الطَّيِّبِينَ الطَّاهِرِينَ